I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hey, Hi. Kieran. <laughs> Not quite Every on top of each other this time. time. I know. <laughs> so close. It's fine. We we should make a rule about it, but whatever. Yeah, I know. We should just like, we should uh, like do a dice roll before the beginning and like whoever wins. Take turns. Yeah, exactly. Just like <laughs> do it that way. Well, hey, it's good to be talking to you and it's going to be better when I see you in person tomorrow night. I know. I'm so excited. It's going to be good. It's going to be great. Um, But in the meantime, we're having lots of fun here. Um. Uh, prepping for the podcast by not prepping for the podcast with yeah. our amazing guest, Cheryl Ring. You want to introduce yourself? First of all, I am so honored to be here. My name is Cheryl Ring. I am an attorney in the Chicago area, and I practice in what I like to call anti-poverty law, eviction defense, foreclosure defense, uh, discrimination cases, civil rights, consumer rights, and uh, family law cases that involve discrimination against queer people and people of color. Truly doing hero's work there. Yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> you are doing the good work. No, my, my clients are the heroes. I am, it, it's something that I, I try very hard to remember because it's important. My job as a lawyer is to tell their stories because the system doesn't allow them to tell their own stories. And so mm-hmm. being being the, the vehicle for somebody's story is a privilege and I try to treat it as such. My, my clients are people who are facing some really awful things. Unfortunately, nobody ever come, calls me and says, Cheryl, I'm calling you because I just wanted to talk to a lawyer today. People come to me at the worst moments of their lives. And what a world that would that, be. Yeah, I, I wish. The, the way that they entrust me with their stories, that that is a privilege and it is very humbling. And they are the heroes to see the, to see the grace and the dignity that they go through these things with, it is very inspiring. Hmm. I love that. Well, speaking of elevating stories, um, we had this fun exchange a little while back when um, the Team Vogue homeschooling piece went live, and you commented saying that you're in favor of homeschooling being being banned and you experienced a lot of harm from being homeschooled yourself, which I didn't know you were homeschooled. I knew you were an amazing lawyer and super cool. And like, I was a fan. And then I learned that and I was like, oh my goodness, I want to hear more. We have to talk. (laughs) We have to talk. I mean, every reason, but also this. So um, as much as you feel comfortable with, could you tell us your story? So, so first of all, I I, um, I want to say that I, I admire both of you and the work that you are doing, um, and this, especially the, the work that, that Karen does with housing is near and dear to my heart. We were talking about that be- beforehand, and um, and the piece that that you wrote Eve about the about homeschooling was like really important, um, and it really did speak with speak to me. So I as as I said, I, I was homeschooled. This is, it's something that I haven't, that I don't talk about a lot publicly. I wrote a piece for Fangraphs a few years ago about my childhood. Essentially, I first came out to my mother when I was eight years old. Um, I didn't know what trans was then. Um, I was eight years old and my, my family was very conservative. It's conservative, both large and small C, even though 
I was born and raised Jewish, my mother had a lot of ideology that was very consistent with evangelical Christianity. And among those things were being virulently anti-choice, virulently patriarchal, and very queerphobic. Hmm. So I didn't even understand what being gay was. I simply thought from the time, as long as I can remember that there was, there had been something terribly wrong in my construction, if that makes sense. Yep. Mm -hmm. Starting when I was, um, as early as when I was four or five, I started saying there was something wrong. Things were not supposed to be where they ended up. And when I was eight, I made a doll of myself as a girl Hmm. Basically, uh, it was how I pictured myself supposed to be. And I went over very proudly to my mother and um, presented it to her and said, this is me. Hmm. Now, my mother had pulled me out of public school right after kindergarten. This was because this was for a couple of reasons, but mostly because she objected to this um she objected to our the, the school's view of racial integration. Um, a family mm. moved in next door to us, and they had a, a little girl about my age who, and she and I became inseparable. And mm. we were we were like four or five, or however old you are when you go to kindergarten. And we used to hang out in on the swings and just sort of go everywhere together. And she was kind of my first crush. And my mother was very opposed to this because she's black and my mother is quite racist. And so that combined with my mother believing that there was something wrong with me was led to me being pulled out of school. I remember that my mother did test me early on just for some kind of neuroatypicality or neurodiversity. And I remember when I was about five years old, she took me to this place to be tested for it. And I never did find out what the results were. Hmm. But after that, she pulled me out of school. And when I was, and the first few years were somewhat uneventful until I came out to her by means of this doll. And that is sort of when the night can we was- can I check something? I just want to clarify something before we keep going. Just one of the things that I I think is really important to understanding these homeschooling stories is class, like economic background and like what your parents were doing as a profession or trained in. You know what was what was that all like for you? So my father, when, when my parents got married, um, my father was a pretty famous DJ. Uh, He worked very hard to get where he was. My mother was a lot younger and she was very proud of the fact that she had married an older wealthy man, Um, (laughs) which fit, I think, very nicely in her worldview. Um, And then while my mother was pregnant with me, my father was in a very bad car accident. And this was before the passage of the ADA and modern protections um, right. Which so he lost his job. It left him. It left him per- with permanent injuries. He had a broken neck. He had a broken hip. He was in pain for the rest of his life, and it left him with a speech impediment. Hmm. And he was. My father was to this day the hardest worker that I have ever known. But my mother was just as abusive to him. 
as she was to me and my youngest sister, although my father will, if even if he's listening to this by some stretch, which I doubt, but he would never admit that just how abusive my mother was to him. Well, it's really, really common for caregivers of disabled partners to be abusive to them. It's, there's not a lot to protect them. Yeah. My, my, my mother was insistent that she not lose the standard of living to which she had become accustomed. And so my father spent several years working three jobs. He, wow. We went from, we, so we went, so the, my, my, so for the first several years of my life, my father was an audio engineer at, at NBC News, the, uh, the owned and operated station in DC. And then from there, he would go to, he, he would work there. It was the uh, 3 p.m. to 1 a.m. shift. Then from there, he would go and work at BET as an audio engineer for several hours. And then from there, he would go to uh, Towson University, uh, teach classes on how to be an audio engineer and broadcasting. That's a fucking hike. And <laughs> then he would come home, shower, change, and do it again. Oh, my God. Um, where was sleep in this schedule? There wasn't much. He got a couple of off days a week. And, and your um, mother didn't work. My mother did not work. My mother did not work. She, she, so she, um, she didn't even let him finish the physical therapy he needed. Um, and he, yeah, so he, but my father, as much as I I love him to this day, um, and I have not spoken to my parents in 12 years because my, to my father, they are a package deal. Um, yeah, in the club. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry. I, I, I know how hard that is. Um, so my father never complained about it. And, but as, as much as at the time I thought my father was strong, what I, what I realized later was that he was actually very weak. He could not stand up to my mother at any point. And the, the last conversation I ever had with him, which is 12 years ago now, um, I, when I finally confronted him about my childhood and what he had helped my mother do to me, he said, you're an exact quote, you're right. I know, but there's nothing I can do. That was wow. Last we've not heard that before. That is rough. That is usually so it's, rough. it's not from the dad, but yeah, that's a really, really, yep. unfortunately, common. If you have a, you know, whoever is the more fundamentalist and controlling parent, the other parent often enables that abuse and does not yes. protect the kids, and it's really awful. And I think it was a combination of my father was terrified of losing my mother, who uh, my father was an only child. He married my mother against his parents' advice. Hmm. And I think he was terrified of accepting that he'd made a mistake. And my mother was absolutely, uh, so, so there were three of us, um, all girls, um, although my mother didn't know that at the time. And the, I was, I'm the oldest and the middle kid, um, and I'm not going to use their names for obvious reasons. Um, there, there, yep. they, uh, she was the apple of my mother's eye, got everything she ever wanted. Mm. And my youngest sister and I were not so lucky, um, because the middle daughter was very much like my mother. They, they, Mm. um, but the problem was 
that my mother was, my mother always regretted that I was the oldest um, because to her, I was defective. And designated patient. Yeah. <laughs> and so she told me on a regular basis, because my, my mother had the three of us and also a miscarriage. And she told me on a number of occasions that she wished that I had been the kid who had miscarried. Fuck. Wow. How, why would you say that to a child? That's horrific. And when I came when I came out to her, and I, and I didn't even know I was coming out at the time. This was just my way of saying, oh, by the way, there is some terrible mistake. As in my eight-year-old brain, I was like, surely they can fix this. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I didn't know what, what trans was. I didn't know what gay was. At the, I, I just was like, there's been a terrible mistake. This is what I'm supposed to look like. Can you fix this for me? Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My mother then proceeded to put me through her particular version of conversion therapy. Oh, God. And uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail on that because I don't know how, um, I don't know how, whether there are any kind of content warnings or trigger warnings on this. And I don't we'll, want to. We'll put them on here. You can talk about it as much as you're comfortable with. We're pretty frank on here and people know that like, if they want to skip this, they can they can skip the next few minutes or you can not. That's okay. Okay. So uh, she waterboarded me with vinegar. God. Oh my God. What was I supposed to do? She was, she would take a rag and she would soak it in vinegar and then she would stuff it in my mouth, put another rag on my nose and mouth and then pour the vinegar on me while my father helped me down. How is that supposed to help? What is that supposed to achieve? Is that like, how, why? Um, that was one of the things that she did. Um, she, there were times where I would just sit in my room for days or weeks on end. There were, and there were other things. My mother, my, my mother did not understand the difference between being trans and being gay. So in her mind, that is what was going on. Um, mm-hmm. And so she was willing to try just about anything to make to for me to not be gay, which is ironic because I am gay, but I wasn't a gay man, which is what she was afraid of. But relatable. that thing um, going on there. So, but but she tried everything she could think of to for me to not be gay, including using herself, if you understand my meaning. Oh my God. Oh, Um, Jesus Christ. Fuck. But my mother, my mother was a very, uh, my mother was a very disturbed person. And, um, sounds like it. She, and homeschooling was a way for her to really it was a way for her to make herself feel better about herself. And so one of the things she did with homeschooling was she started homeschool groups there where she was the lead. Mm. She, <laughs> used, and she used us to get access to homeschool groups where she would, where, where, and she would do interviews about the, how great homeschooling was. One thing that I will, would, will never forgive her for, she wanted to be a group, be part of this particular homeschool group that was particularly prestigious for one way or another. And the the person who was in charge of this particular homeschool group had a son who was dying of cancer. And he was about 14. 
And she knew this, and so she encouraged my youngest sister to fall in love with this boy, but did not tell him, did not tell her that he was dying of cancer. Oh my god! So she walked to remembered your your sister. Yes, yes, she did. What the fuck? Holy shit! And that broke her for a long time. Yeah, that broke her for a long time. And um, again, what's the point? I don't get it. Like, what? What is this? Oh, she. Oh, oh, she was absolutely lauded in this Facebook group for what she did. But um, but my sister was broken for a long time, and I do not know to this day if my sister knew that it was deliberate on our mother's part. Wow. Oh my God. But, but yeah, I, I never quite looked at it like that, but yeah, she did a walk to remember deliberately to my youngest sister. And I confronted her about that um, unsuccessfully. Um, <sighs> the, the reality was that my, my homeschooling experience was such that it, and it culminated in me trying to kill myself on multiple occasions. And by the time I was 13, there was nothing more my mother could have taught me anyway. Um, yeah, was there much like structured education? Was she actually teaching you anything? For a while, yes, but she was using a very conservative Christian uh, curriculum that she chose specifically after. If she, she actually switched the curriculum after I came out because she wanted a, a she thought that would help. Um, Name and the other names. Thing she did Which curriculum? Was, there was a Calvert. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was was the was one that she used? God, what was the other one? It has been. I have tried to put a lot of this out. We blocked these things yeah. out on purpose. I get it. Yeah, <laughs> but one of the things that she decided was that I needed to learn discipline and responsibility because she thought that I was clearly that's the problem. Yeah, that 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 was the problem. And mm-hmm. so she she also wanted to be famous, and so she because she wasn't famous anymore when my father wasn't famous anymore. Uh, and so she started an animal rescue and so she just started hoarding animals there were two horses six chickens four rabbits two guinea pigs 22 gerbils two iguanas uh several turtles a couple of birds five dogs 16 cats so how many of these died under her supervision well that's the thing it wasn't her job to take care of them Uh, every sunday I i would wake up at 5 a.m. and I would just clean cages and clean. I to this day I despise cats because I cannot get the smell of a litter box for 16 cats out of my sinuses. And no, yeah, that's cats, fair. I'm sure they're wonderful, but that um that was a uh, they stink. They just they do. do. They really do. 16 cats using one litter box, and so we had this farm, and so when that didn't teach me enough responsibility, so I would take a hand spreader and lime the entire field with a hand spreader over and over again, and that oh that was but that didn't work. We had a dog who was dying, and so I just lived in the garage for a week while this dog was dying, feeding the dog with a syringe while I watched oh the maggots go in and out of various orifices of the oh. dog. Because she refused just to shoot put the, the goddamn thing! Down. Oh my god, that's awful! And the dog was suffering, but she said that we were a no-kill shelter, and she would not put the dog down, and this would teach me responsibility if I was able to save the dog's life. Oh my god. Which was no. ironic, because... At all. 
which was yeah, which was ironic because she had no compunctions about putting down my dog as a punishment for me. But she did that when I saw her. So the the long and short of it was she she believed that, and she told me on a regular basis, she thought that I was lazy, irresponsible, and undisciplined. And uh, she, she, uh, one of the things she used to do was she used to punish me by saying, I'm no longer the oldest child my sister is. And she would just like, um, um, as though you could just sort of change. Right. The that's how that works. Yeah. You can so, change ages. Yeah. So that, that was the kind of thing that she would do. And, so eventually, by the time I started college when I was 16, because I had to get out of there, but I, she wouldn't let me live on campus yeah. because I was 16. Of course. And she would basically spy on me while I was, because she wanted to make sure that I was not engaging in anything that would be unbecoming in a, the, in a, the, a liberal bastion <laughs> like a college. And so right, right, uh, right. to the point where she sent my, my, the, my sister, to, who is eight, uh, 18 months younger than me, to the same college. And that backfired spectacularly. So, so I, I, she told me that one of the, the as a condition of uh, having to, uh, as a condition of living at home for college, which I had no choice because I was a minor. Right. Um, right. She had to see all of my homework. So I started... And I realized pretty quickly that what she wanted to do with my homework was fucking over my homework. Pardon my language. I'm sorry. Um, I'm just going to so, be like a former professor here being like, that's a violation of your student privacy rights. So I yes. just started doing two sets of homework. I would do the set of homework for oh, her and the set of homework for my professors. And right. so second year of college i told my i asked my father if you would you be proud of me if i was valedictorian because they were never proud of me because i was such a disappointment and he was like i don't think you're smart enough and um and i ended up in several of the same classes as my sister because she was one year behind me and so we ended up taking several of the same classes and the first couple of classes i ended up getting higher grades than my sister did and my mother confronted me and said that that was she said that i was obviously cheating because my sister was so much smarter than me and she told me that if i wanted to continue to live at home i had to throw my grades Holy so this shit. is this is a, this is such a interesting example of this this thing i see a lot in homeschooling families abusive homeschooling families let me clarify is that they pit the siblings against each other yes in yes. order oh, that, to that, that was very true. reinforce yeah. the control and it gives them extra eyes because everybody is going to be competing to be the favorite so that they get less punishment and so ratting on each other is the safest way to survive yes and or no, not that existing was like true. you have to choose one or the other that was that was almost certainly true. I did graduate valedictorian, and I was Good very job. proud of that. And my mother was absolutely furious <laughs> and walked out. Wow. Um, so first of but all, what, but what you your mentioned, shit. yeah, what, what what you mentioned about pitting us against each other. Years later, I I was 
emailing back and forth with my with my sister who had attended the same college as me and I was talking with her about that and she said to me you have no idea what it was like I was supposed to be the favorite and I was always getting grades worse than yours and you have no idea how hard that was Mm. it makes everyone feel like shit yeah yeah and that's the uh, she still has a good relationship with our parents um and naturally but my my mother used to pit us against each other um so for example she would tell me to she would tell me to say things terrible things to my sisters and at first i would refuse and then she would just hit me until i did and then she would punish me for saying them it was a she liked to play those kind of games yeah sadistic she liked to play those mind games and because she said that it was necessary for me to learn discipline and responsibility and because she believed that I was not capable of making decisions on my own. Right. Wow. And so in her mind, as she she explained to me once, the, the reason she would have me say these things is because she believes that that is what I actually believe. <laughs> Just like... The layers, the layers of of gaslighting and fabrication and just, oh, wow. And so she would say, you have to say, you have to tell your sisters that you want to punch them or something. Um, Or worse, there were, um, my my mother used to, she would tell me that I need to tell them that I have a crush on my sister. And then she would punish me for saying it. It was. um, Wow. it, It was. That that was, and it, it was bad. It was bad. Deeply, and deeply fucked up. That is so many levels of fucked and up. And so when I find the first time I tried to commit suicide, I actually I went over to her and I said, "I'm not okay. I need help." I and I told her that I was actively suicidal, because I mean, being trans with a, a an unsupportive family is hard enough being trans yeah. in that environment was mm-hmm. and her response was that was to tell me how to kill myself by hanging myself so i could so she could cover the bruises with a collared shirt and she what? said that i'm serious and she said that the she said that she didn't want to look like a bad mother at my funeral because she knows she is um, God damn. Okay, I am so, so angry at your mom right now. I mean, the, the, the <laughs> reason why I don't want to stop I, oh, ahead, you sorry. from t- telling your story. I do want to ask a question that I always ask when we have these conversations. And that is like, what could have protected you? Like if there were to be some change in the law or in community support systems, is there anything that could have been done that would have prevented your mother from t- being this violently abusive homeschooling being illegal <laughs> i mean i i know that it's a, it's, a, it's a glib response but it's also true um mm-hmm. the 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 first so so i i grew up in maryland um mm-hmm. and the 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 way the law was in maryland at the time i was growing up there was a county reviewer who would um either come out to look at things or, um, or, or a, um, 
uh, or we would go to the county reviewer and basically to make sure we were actually learning things. And mm -hmm. the problem was, so the county reviewer could give recommendations, but there wasn't really much beyond that. So like the, the county reviewer, when I was mm -hmm. 13, recommended that I would recognize there was nothing else she could teach me and, and said that I should start college at the time. But the problem was that wouldn't necessarily have helped. I mean, when, when you are basically isolated from everyone for that long, I, 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 when I started college at 16, I hadn't seen the inside of a classroom with the exception of a, a Christian fundamentalist biology class or for lab, right? Right. For years, I I was terrified of talking to people. I was terrified of talking on the phone. I had no idea mm -hmm. how to carry a conversation. And oh, the very reality, relatable. Yeah, yeah. I I was completely, and so the social aspect of college was harder than the the academics ever were, and. Looking back, I even if I had started college earlier, it wouldn't have solved the problem because it what I needed was a community that isn't I think is not possible with un, especially unregulated homeschooling. And I think the, the well, and, and as great as community college is, it just can't do the the work of having you be socialized in a, a group of your peers and learning together with them, which is really important. Oh, absolutely. And and part of the problem was I started college at 16 because I needed to get away from her, even if it was just for the right. daytime. And I immediately was called a freak by a bunch of people in my college class because I was the youngest person on the ca on campus by a mile. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that, I went from being the center of attention in my house for all the wrong reasons to being the center of attention on in college because I was the youngest person on campus and no idea how to handle that. Mm. Right. And yep. that was, it, it is, it, it was really hard. It was really, really hard. And I, I have a couple of friends who I made my first year of college who I still have to this day. But they even they talk about how awkward I was early on because I, I had no idea what I was doing. And I I I, I was I, I I just didn't know how to have a conversation. Well, because yep. like you haven't been given that opportunity, you haven't been given the tools. Like those sorts of things take years to hone. Like it's just an hour, you know, every day at school is not going to teach you that at the community college level. Like it's you, you have to be hanging out with people all the time. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And the the most so the the most interaction with other kids I got when when I was growing up was random things like the occasional PE, which my, my mother was always looking to monetize. So for example, I mm. would, for a while we were in a homeschool bowling league, which was once a week. And I showed some promise and there were a couple of, of bowling coaches who wanted to take, who, who said that I showed some promise. And so I did the semi-pro circuit when I was 15 and I was pretty good, but is this because your mother wanted to be famous again? Yes, yes, yes. And don't get me wrong, I, I still love, I still love bowling, but 
I mean, the amount of pressure that you're putting on yourself when you're uh, when you're 15 and you're going on a semi pro circuit with tournaments, it's just that's not exactly where you learn to socialize with other people, especially when you're on a semi pro circuit yeah. and a bunch of and, and nobody else you don't know you know no one there, right? So the the reality is, uh, and the reality is. I, I think the entire, and, and yes, I freely admit that I am incredibly biased because of my own experience, but the truth of the matter is I do not believe that the American model of homeschooling can be regulated in such a way as to protect children from abuse. I do not think it is possible. And the, the, and I, the reason I don't think that is because I don't see any way a person could have prevented what happened to me could have been prevented unless the county reviewer was sitting there 24 seven. The, the, the biggest problem with homeschooling that I experienced was that my mother had basically not just unfettered access, but unfettered control. And so if if you're in a, a public school and there is a, a, problematic adult in your life you have other avenues they may not be good avenues and they are certainly not avenues without their own problems but they at least exist but one thing that my mother was very good at was isolating me from other not just other kids but other adults who could have seen that there was a problem to the point where she isolated us from my father's, I, I never met my mother's family. We met my father's hmm. family aside from my grandmother, his mother, maybe a handful of times. We didn't even, ha- we did not have a relationship with our relatives uh, sufficient for me to reach out to them. There was just no way. Mm-hmm. And mm, yeah. right. that, that degree of isolation is something that is simply, it, it's par for the course with homeschooling with other people I've spoken to who have experiences similar to mine. And it's why I feel so vehemently about the issue because I, unless the, the, the county reviewer had been empowered to say, I'm just going to sit here and watch you for a while, it, there's no way to ensure that parents are not just teaching kids what they need to scholastically, but also teaching them what they need to know about themselves and their own identities and access right. to other people. Um, mm-hmm. I, the, the, the thing that really sticks with me about my childhood is how much of an act we were expected to put on for those county reviewers. Oh my God, yes. Yep. yes. Oh my and God, yes. How easy it was to get away with. And one mm. par- one other parent even looked at us and said to my mother, I'll never forget this, you have them so well programmed. And at the time I did not, at the time I, I was a kid, I, I, I didn't realize just how prescient that was. Um, yeah. I, I've had so many of these moments with my father and people in our community too, where they really held my parents up as standards to emulate of parenting because 
they had us so under control in public. We were so well behaved. He could like if one of my siblings who I was, you know, the buddy for was acting out in public, he could like nod at me from across the room and I would go and silence them. Like that was the level of like yep. precision that he had in place. And and I've had so many conversations with these people after the fact where it's like, no, actually that's a sign that this is abusive. Like kids being rowdy in public is a great sign. <laughs> like there's other things going on maybe, but like it means that they have autonomy and they believe that they have autonomy and that's healthy. Yep. My parents were the same. Yeah, my my mother controlled us through not not my not my the middle my, my my middle sister, but um, she controlled especially me through fear. It was that, it, it, and it was the same thing. Just that look, and I thought that was normal. She controlled mm-hmm, my father yeah. through fear, me through fear, my youngest sister through fear, and it wasn't until we we a new family moved in next door. And my mother was absolutely horrified because this the, the family that moved in next door was black, and my mother is a virulent racist. But they had a, a son who was about my age, and he used to sneak me out of the house to play baseball or go have a catch. Or, um, but he was not a freak of her. Nice. He slammed the door in his face, and he was not afraid of her. And that was the first time I realized, wow – it's not normal to be afraid of my mother. Um, uh-huh. it, it, it sounds weird to say that I was afraid of my mother, especially by the time I was 16, I was taller than she was. And you're like, well, why are you afraid of her? There is a degree of psychological control. And that, that is why I, I believe she played those oh, yeah. games with my sisters where mm-hmm. she would, she, she convinces you to say these things and do these things. And to a point where it becomes almost muscle memory, almost rote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you set those yeah. neurological pathways and you develop you, as they're developing. Yeah, that's how that works. Yep. And so it, it took it took years of therapy for me to get to a point where I could acknowledge, even just acknowledge the fact that my that childhood was abusive, to recognize that word. And yeah, that was that was my next question was like what was the moment when you like were okay with saying it or realized that it was? Because I feel like that's always a really powerful moment for people like us so i i had a therapist he he passed away which was really sad but he used to tell me that the biggest issue that i had was i was unable to or unwilling to become angry with my mother and i and i mm-hmm. was um the really traumatizing part uh, of that was i uh, i spent my entire I spent my, my enti- the entirety of my early 20s resisting transitioning because I didn't want to be my mother. And I, I, Aww, I, look, yeah. I look very much like my mother. The only difference between, our, uh, between us is she has green eyes and I have brown eyes. But I can't see that difference because I'm colorblind anyway. And so I look in the mirror and I see mm-hmm. my mother's face. And that was really hard for me. I, I have her smile. I relate to that I, a I lot. Exactly <laughs> like her. And so yeah. I, I did the whole growing facial hair. Not because I was a guy, but because I did not want to look in the mirror and see my mother's face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
it was, and I, I had, um, I had a car accident, a, I, a really, really bad car accident. The brakes failed on the car I was driving and I ended up underneath a, an SUV that had been in front of me. And Whoa. there was a moment when I was, when I was, my life literally did flash in front of my eyes. That, that is not a myth. And I was watching the, the SUV coming closer and closer to the, to my car. And it seemed like, and then it was on top of the hood and the hood was crumpling up and I, it was all in very slow motion, even though it happened in like a split second. And I remember thinking, I cannot die with people thinking I'm a man. And mm-hmm. after the accident, I was, I, I was in therapy and I was talking about why I was so resistant to transitioning and it was the last time I well, the last time I saw this therapist, and he was talking about how the need to I was so afraid of being angry with my mother because that would require recognizing what she did, and I viewed anger as destructive because her anger was destructive, and I look like her, and I'm scared of being her. And the yeah. the really frustrating part of it was I was trying so hard not to become my mother that in a way I became my father. I ended up in a, an abusive relationship. Oh, this is such a classic thing. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. where where I would, where my partner, my ex-wife, she was, she hit me, and for years she hit me, and I was so afraid of being my mother that I let her do it. Mm -hmm. And and it and I had to. it, It took years of therapy to recognize that that there is a middle ground between them that I can. Mm-hmm. I am my own person. I do not need to fear that, that, that it is possible to go too far in the other direction. Yeah, And I'm very lucky now. I, I have the, the most amazing fiance in the world and I am head over heels in love with her. But, the, but I am frustrated because it took me so long to get there. Um, and this, this comes kind of to the thing that was, that I think is the, the, most important part of my particular homeschooling story and the thing that we don't talk about enough, I think. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot when it comes to homeschooling about abuse. We do not talk enough about neglect and how often they go hand in hand. I have Crohn's disease. I started having symptoms when I was eight years old. By the time time I was Mm. diagnosed as an adult, the, the damage was done. Um, yeah, I, that's awful. I had a doctor, t- I have had multiple doctors tell me that my life expectancy is in the 50 to 60 range. And I've also had those same doctors tell me that if it had been, if treatment had been started earlier, I could have lived a relatively normal life. Mm-hmm. When I first started having these symptoms and this, and it got worse throughout my teens, my mother, first she refused to take me to doctors. She told me that I was making it up. And when she finally took me to a doctor, she and my father both told the doctor I was making it up. And a uh-huh. doctor, when, they, when a doctor hears the parents say that the kid is making it up, the doctor will defer to the parents. Often, mm-hmm. yeah. And so, the, so I never got treatment until I was an adult. And 
by the time, and I, the first time I, I had the colonoscopy, I actually stayed awake for it because I needed to see for myself after dealing with this for mm. close to 15 years, this is a real thing. I am not, I have not been imagining right. this for 15 years. And of course you go, you see the cobblestoning on the, the colonoscopy and you see the, the, the effects and the, but by, but by that time, you know, it has, it's become systemic. The, the, right. it's a, it's an autoimmune disease. This, it will eventually kill me. And it is a, it is very hard to hear when you are in your late twenties, which is when I heard it, there are fewer days ahead than behind. And that's the thing that is really frustrating because yes, I have the love of my life and I am as happy as I have ever been, but this, she stole so much joy from you. Yes. I will have less of this than I did of the shit. And it didn't have to be that way. And no, it didn't. The, the, and so we talk a lot when it comes to homeschooling about the problems with the problems that are inherent to fundamentalist education and socialization. But I also think it's important, especially during a pandemic, to talk about what you don't get. I did not get the vaccinations yes. I needed to get. I did not get the, the, the medical care I needed to get. And I'm not alone in that. There are a lot of kids who will not be vaccinated because they're being homeschooled, who will not yep. be seeing yep. doctors because they are, they are homeschooled. And yep. way too many of them are going to end up in this situation where by the time they finally cut all ties and, and, and put all that behind them, they look around and realize there's too much of their life that's already gone. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's awful. It's really, really awful. Yeah, it really sucks. It is not. So I have fibro and IBS and some days I just like can't. My body is just no. And it's really frustrating to me because that's CPTSD. That's what my parents fucking gave me. And I have to pay the consequences for the rest of my life. And it makes me so angry. And my therapist is working with me on like, actually unlocking the anger because I also was like, oh no, anger is bad and like stuffed it into a box. And so my therapist is like, no, actually (laughs) it would probably help you a lot if you like actually got angry. And I'm like, anger is, but I don't know how to do it. Anger is the, the moment where the lights come back on because Mm -hmm. it's the moment when you realize that you have value and it's, I know like anger is, is often seen as a negative emotion, but I really like my anger saved my life. Having the right to be angry at how I was treated allowed me to get out, allowed me to push back, allowed me to start to figure out how to put boundaries up. Like I just can't. I am just so grateful that like for whatever reason, anger didn't get completely beaten out of me. I it's fucking saved me. Turns out it's good and useful. In, you know, it's, yeah. it's interesting because what I ended up taking away, um, what, what I ended up taking away was so, so kind of a, a sidebar, but I, I, this is going somewhere. I promise. I am a huge nerd gigantic Star Trek fan, Marvel fan, um, 
pretty much if it's sci-fi or fantasy, I'm a fan. And there's this this wonderful scene at the end of Jessica Jones, the the series. Mm-hmm. I it, I, I am Jess- Jessica Jones. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Trish. And Jess makes a comment that uh, Trish's mother beat a self-righteous resolve into her. And that is basically, I mean, that, that I identified with that a lot because for me, what I ended up taking away wasn't so much anger as an absolutely, some, admittedly sometimes unhealthy stubbornness. It can be extremely useful in court and extremely unuseful in other contexts. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is. But I, I live I off of spite. It's fine. Yes, yes it is. But for, for me, it was well, well, after the first time I tried to kill myself, I learned that the only way I was, the only way I was going to survive was if I saved myself. And so I just turned off the pain and it, that's not a healthy thing to do. But that's kind of where it came from. I, I yeah. And the yep. the end result ended up being that I just sort of pushed through everything. And of course, when you have a, a chronic autoimmune disease, that's not necessarily a thing that your chronic autoimmune disease is going to allow you to do, which is something yeah. that doctor and I have a continuing dialogue about. But it, for me, it, the the takeaway ended up being that I am just going to will myself through everything but the and and so in a sense that is the greatest gift my mother gave me but at the same time I cannot forgive her not just for what she did to me but what she did to my youngest sister what Mm -hmm. she did to my father and what she took away from me because and, and it's not that I'm saying I have an expiration date and, you know, I, I plan to uh, prove the I, – I, people prove doctors wrong all the time and Crohn's – Right, 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 right. And Crohn's is yeah. a death sentence. But I do not want to worry about – I mean, I, I want to be able to look ahead to 50 or 60 years with my fiancé and not 20. And yeah. – mm-hmm. There's a there is a part of me that will never forgive her for that, but I also one of my best friends asked me a while back if I had to do it over again would I change anything and I said no because if it if not for that I wouldn't be who I am and I yes yeah yes and yes. I cannot hate what brought me here but I can say that I don't want anyone else to go through what I went through. And right. what, yes. and the problem is what I went through is way too common. It, my, my mother may have mm-hmm. had her own perverse methodology, but I mean, the two, the two of you are living proof that it was, it may have been unique in tactics, but not in strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the net effect is very similar, even if the specifics are different. Yeah. One of the things that has kept me, you know, I, I tend to be fairly more forgiving than I ought to be for myself. I, 
I will never forgive, you know, this person's ex-husband for her, even if she forgives him. But like, if it's for me, I'm way too soft. And one of the things that has protected me from forgiving my father when I really shouldn't, because he's done nothing to deserve that, um, is the fact that like every six months or so I'll get some horrendous news from one of my younger siblings for some bullshit he's pulled again. And it's just like, yep. Like, even if it wasn't for me, like all of the other shit, it Mm -hmm. absolutely deserves it. Yep. Even if I don't know how to be angry for myself, it's still really, really good to be angry for them and to have done everything that I have done to protect them from him. Like he would have so much more power over them now if I had not just like clawed my way out and pulled the system down as I went. Like it just, yeah. So yeah, it's, it fucking sucks, but I also wouldn't change anything. Yep. Uh, That's also the conclusion that like I've come to when I think about things is just like my childhood was brutal and I had to fight tooth and nail to get out alive and not become like a husk of myself. But mm-hmm. the cool thing about that is like, I know who I am and I'm very solid in who I am. And I like, I'm kind of unshakable to myself because I had to protect myself so hard just to like yes. get through. And so it's one of those things where like, I wish it didn't happen that way. And I wish I had, like, it would have been nice to have a non-terrible childhood, but I also wouldn't change it because also, like, both of you have said, like, I have siblings and I showed them the way out and they know that it's possible now. And my parents, whatever they do to try to dissuade them, they still know that, like, a different life is possible. And that's, like, a really powerful Mm -hmm. thing. And I don't want anyone else to have to go through that either. And I'm like, this is... People should not be allowed to do this to their their children. They shouldn't. There should be stops. Like my parents sweet talked their way out of a CPS investigation because we were so well behaved. And I'm like, it would have been helpful if the CPS person had known what to look for, like yeah. parentification of siblings, perhaps. But she was just like, oh no, you're just like this cool big Christian family. It's fine. So the um, shit. my mother became a child therapist after I left. And oh, good. Oh, yeah. Love that. She went to the college where I graduated and became a child therapist. And when I, uh, and when I wrote in the article for Fangraphs about my childhood, threatened to sue Fangraphs for running it. Oh, God. The, wow. But uh, yeah, she is still a, a, a child therapist. And it, that terrifies me because I still have nightmares about what she did to me. Yeah. I really, I really admire both of you for, for, you know, showing your, your siblings. When I was 18, my youngest sister, she was the, the she, she said, this is not normal. This is not normal. I mean, she was the first one mm-hmm. to notice this is not normal. She started saying it was not normal when we were 14, when I was 14 and, and she was nine. For her. She said, this is not normal. Oh my God, bless her. She, so she, she came to me when I was 18 and she asked me to take her out of there. Oh. And Aww. I briefly looked into adopting her, but I, 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 I and then I, when, again, when I started law school, but there was just no way. 
And you I don't have think to get she, yourself out first. I don't think she ever forgave me for that. And I understand why, but yeah, for, but I don't think out we will, I don't think we will ever have a relationship because of that. And I don't think I can ever forgive myself for that, even though on some level I'm like, okay, what were you supposed to do? You, yeah, no, you, I, you but, have yeah. to get yourself out. There's no, that would have dragged you back. I didn't, I simply did not have the resources for a custody fight with my parents. Yeah. yeah. But the, the, what they, the, I, I have no relationship with my sisters because of that with my youngest sister. And because yep. I, the last time I spoke with my middle sister, she, she wants to have a relationship with our parents and I will not have a relationship with someone who has a relationship with my parents. That's fair. Fair. I, so, and I think that's the saddest part because I don't know what is going to happen, you know, in the future with those relationships. And I, and I want to have a relationship with my father before he passes away because he's getting older and with my sisters, but I also don't think that's possible. My mother is a very poisonous individual. Adults with autonomy. And if you could get out, they could also get out and, you know, it sucks when they don't choose you. But I, I also don't begrudge them that. I I, I, I understand. I, I do not begrudge them that. And I, I it's hard for me to... You can still suck and you can understand it. Yeah. yeah. I, I it's especially... And I'm looking at it from my youngest sister's perspective. I understand why she felt so betrayed. Even though there isn't necessarily something I could have done differently. I understand why she did feel that way. Because... Yeah from her perspective when I was 18 and then when I was 20, I like, I, I understand why from her perspective, I had abilities she did not. And, but it, it, it was, it was still really hard, but the thing that I have it, had to work with, sorry, go ahead. The thing that keeps me up at night is that my mother is a licensed child therapist and that she advertises yeah. as a child therapist. And I went to the state of Maryland and I told them my story and I said that I am concerned about what she will do. And they just never responded. They just ignored me. I, I yeah. was, I, I am very concerned because I don't trust her. I know what she's capable of. And hopefully I am, hopefully she has changed and she has changed for the better but I feel like if she had, she would have made some attempt to make amends. Even still, I, right. I don't want to judge. Maybe she, maybe this is her way of making amends, and I am being overly cautious. But it, I would be lying if I said that it doesn't keep me up at night. That that is, I mean, that that's disturbing. That's, that is very yeah. disturbing. Yeah, that's fair. I was just going to say I've had to work through the abandonment stuff with a couple of my siblings too, and like it's never going to go away because you know, you look like you have so much more power because you're able to leave and it's, it's just a fractional difference and it's really not anything you could have done, but it's still going to feel really shitty to them to have had that, you know, that source of comfort and support and solidarity to be on inaccessible for your own safety. It really, really blows. To this day, my mother uses because i check on her from time to time Mm -hmm. and she still uses the fact that she was a homeschooling mother as evidence that she is a good therapist and (laughs) oh my god God. 
and I and I think that is that that kind of goes to the heart of the problem, right? You people here the cult of motherhood in America, white motherhood in America, in particular. Exactly, exactly, and there is this idea that oh, you must have been a good parent if you homeschooled your kids, when the reality is something very different. Yeah, and I. And, and it's why I, I mean, I keep coming back to, I don't think there is an alternative to outright banning it because I do not, I, I simply do not believe it is possible to homeschool kids in a way that avoids the possible, that, that avoids the isolation that breeds abuse. I don't. And and again, yes, I I am biased. I freely admit that I had a pretty much the worst case experience in many ways. Yeah. But at the same time, I would argue that, but that my middle sister had the best case experience, and our family is still it still ended up being fractured. I I I, I do not I do not believe that a especially when it is a religious basis, I think that is incredibly dangerous because of the the, the sheer amount of abuse and neglect that it enables. And yeah, yeah. The, the amount of power that it gives you is really, really frightening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone should be able to have that amount of power over another person. It's just so so very wrong and all the homeschool moms will be mad at me but i don't care you shouldn't be able to do that to your kids you shouldn't be able to control literally everything about their life no parent should be able to do that no parent at all should be able to do that it's so it's so hard to deal with when you get older and you leave and like then you have all of the consequences of everything you lost like you're so right about neglect like I didn't go to doctors from the time I was eight until I was 18. So I lost, I didn't know what immunizations I needed. Like I had infections that could have been treated with antibiotics, but were instead treated with oregano oil. Like it was ridiculous and no one should have that, that amount of unchecked power that is just cruel and just breeds like an environment that is ripe for abuse, which we have, Plenty of evidence documenting. <laughs> With my parents, it was elderberry. Uh, that was my in-laws. Yeah, Same guess. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably a good note to end on. Thank you so much for sharing your story. If there's anything else you want to add here before we wrap. I'm just really honored to be here. And I, I really appreciate you having me. Um, I it it is difficult to talk about, but I also think it's really important. Yeah. There there is such a there is such a stigma attached to talking about things like this, as though we are ungrateful for sacrifices our parents made. But I think it's important to recognize that what the, there are certain things that kids are owed, just for existence. Yes. You know, a, and a safe home and an education yes. are things that kids are entitled to, because that's just just for existing, and that's okay to say. Yeah, no, I think that the parents owe kids things and those things that they should owe them are codified in the UN Rights of the Child Act. And 
kids don't owe their parents shit because they didn't consent to being given. I was not asked if I wanted to be born and I'm angry about that. (laughs) I should have been consulted. This is a a basic power differential that everybody should understand. But yeah, I I really appreciate you having me and, um, and, and thank you very, very much. Thank you so much. I know it's really hard to talk about and I really appreciate you opening up and sharing all this with us. It's it's a difficult ground to cover, but I, I really thought that this was an important story to, you know, put down and preserve. Yeah. Yeah. More people talking about this is always better. Where can people find you on the internet if you want people to find you on the internet? So you can follow me on Twitter at ring under underscore Cheryl, ring underscore Cheryl. Uh, you can follow you can follow me on my Instagram. You can also visit me online www.cherylringlaw.com. That's with an S, not a C. www.cherylringlaw.com. And because I would be remiss if I didn't. You should also read everything that my beautiful fiance writes over at Jalopnik because she is a fantastic automotive journalist, one of the best in the business, and I am so lucky. So if you like cars or you like reading things about cars or planes or trains or the intersection of race and gender and planes and trains and cars, then you should go and read what my fiance writes. Her name is Mercedes Streeter, and she is amazing. Oh hell yes! So, so uh, if love. you so if you follow me on Twitter, you will see me being incredibly in love and gay for my fiance. So that is <laughs> that is a thing you should expect. Uh, you should expect a uh, tweet Cute. about anti-imperialism, abolishing the carceral state, uh, what it's like to be an anti-poverty lawyer, and the fact that I am hopelessly in love with my fiance. Adorable, gross, great. amazing. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it was really, really lovely to have you on to talk about this and show off pictures of my cat's baby teeth. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. And I I apologize for my my chihuahua's bad behavior in the background at times. It's fine. We always have, have pets interrupting. It's a feature, not a bug. Yep. It's all good. Take care. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Cult podcast. Our music is from the track Janet by the Bend the Heavens on their album Stenazzo. Our producer is Dave the Great. Our podcast is made possible by Patreon donations from listeners like you. To support us and join our community on Slack, check out patreon.com slash kitchen table cult pod. Thanks for listening.